the Exton Moss Experiment. Adventures in Wine and Space with Simon Exton and Ken Moss. Episode 15 Doctor Who, Image of the Fendal. I'm Ken Moss. And I'm Simon Exton. And welcome to the latest podcast. Tonight we're looking at Image of a Fendal. I love this story. I think it's one of my most watched Doctor Who stories. I have to say, I haven't seen this for a very long time. Well, don't just sit there, Eustace. Say something. I'm not entirely sure why it's called Eustace. I found him and I can. At medical school, we used to call our skeletons Napoleon. Of course not. Well. The volcanic sediment is 12 million years old. Bones apart. I accept without reservation the results of your. Oh, not Horatio then, as in. What I don't accept is that Eustace. Bones apart. Yeah, I get it. I get it. Medics aren't classically known for their sense of humour. That really does have to be the worst sort of um, hidden villain name ever. Image of the Fendal, part one. Ah, yes, Dr. Fendelman. He couldn't possibly be involved in some way, could he? Yes. Captain (laughs) NME. Stargrove Manor. Now, that that's the second time this has been used. I think Stargroves was used for Pyramids of Mars as well. It was Mick Jagger's house at the time. Yeah, I've always thought it's slightly odd that he's whistling away Scott Joplin. Because at this point it would have been so old. Oh, in 1973 it was used as the... Um, the theme tune for the sting. Yeah, that may have had to mm. do it. Oh, look, flashy lights, it must be signs. Right, style, we can begin. Yes, we can begin. Well done, Dr. V. Illen. Just while this episode very slowly gets going, um, quick gin review, I think. Uh, I am currently on a very cheap gin, Green Old Gin which is from Asda. There's not really a lot remarkable to say about this. It does what it says on the tin, but it's very much a an emergency gin. I'm going to give this two burners. I think you're being a little harsh on it, to be perfectly honest. Yes, it's a reasonably priced gin. It does do exactly what it says on the tin, but because it does exactly what it says on the tin and does it well, I'm going to give it three burners. It's just a little unremarkable for me, that's all. It's just... Um, Which is why it's not getting any more than three. Mm. Uh, but you're on something different. You're on, you're on your, uh, the, uh, another go-to favourite for you, which we've um, both had. I'm on Jawbox, which I think we've reviewed before. We have, but it's. Um, I know you think of it slightly higher than I do. I, I think I only gave mine three burners. You gave yours five, as I recall. Yeah, yeah. This is my uh, five out of five gin, or one of my five out of five gins, because we have others that we will review at a future date. Now, there are a lot of flashing lights and rising tension in this, so you know something's going to happen, as well as a flashing skull. And we have Wonder Ventham. Looking, looking really rather glamorous to be a scientist. Science and glamour is a possible combination. It's a possible, but 
not very often combination. Thank you. He's stopped whistling Scott Joplin now and he's increased his running pace. Running through the rose garden of Stargrove Manor. There's not many roses in that particular garden. The silver birch, mate. I really like that overlay shot of mm. the skull and... Um... Wand of Anthem. The character was still called Doctor Who on the end credits of the story, despite being credited as The Doctor in the Radio Times for the first time. Now, I did quite like in the recent episode with the Cybermen, what was it? World Enough in Time. They alluded to the fact that his name might actually be Doctor Who, but he dropped the Who because it sounded a bit rubbish. As a sort of mysterious uh, affectation when he, he first started travelling. It's never explicitly denied or confirmed, but I do quite like that as an explanation. Yeah. I used to work for somebody called Doctor Who. Was it H.U. by any chance? Yes. But he was still called Doctor Who when I was working in quantum mechanics, so I was really quite happy with that. <laughs> Apparently these are futuristic circuit boards, because it, to me it largely looks like wire and bits of old Vera board, but perhaps that was futuristic. You've no magnificence in your soul, have you? It's, it's very high-tech in the 51st century. We just travel back in time and degenerate a little in 3,000 years. Did you listen to that in your own head before you said it? No. No, fair enough. We're in the gin zone now. There's no self-editing going on. The hat stand refused to fall on a number of occasions. On the other hand, she is looking as though she's about to fall out of her costume. I know, it's marvellous. That's one word for it. I really do like Louise Jemison's portrayal of Leela. Mm, it's brilliant. We see Colby's dog Leaky in the next scene. They have to explain to people who Leaky is. Yeah. Yeah, there we go. Oh, oh there we go. Max would be an uh, absolute pain in the ass to work with. Yes, he would. Adam, you could imagine being vaguely insane going out, out for an with for a point on a Friday after work. These woods, they are supposed to be haunted. Get a bit more than you introspective. Theo, on the other hand, would probably be dancing on the table by the end of the night. Oh, I should think so. Yeah. And Fendelman would be a bit, well, you know, when he's been working in the morning. His accent would get thicker the more drunk he got. By the end of the evening, he would... a random tour across Eastern Europe. Does this call me pop? You know what I'm thinking? We keep the key cutting machine! <laughs> of course, the most entertaining one to go out for a drink with would be the Illuminal Trout herself. Don't you, Grandma? <laughs> yeah, but you'd be the one slaughtered in a corner while she was necking neat vodka or pachin. 
I'm not sure you've seen quite how much gin I can put away, <laughs> having been trained by Preston's finest. Wow. Is this the place at the Sonic Time Scan? Oh, yes. Oh, well, more or less. That's barely covering her ass. I think that's the point. Excellent. Good morning, ladies. Good morning, ladies. Now, which one of you has the time scanner? Hmm? I have completed the postmortem. And I cannot find the exact cause of death. Well, then, clearly can't do your job very well. Natural causes, then. His watch is still working. He has a thermos of tea in his pocket, which is too hot. Yesterday's newspaper. The mud in his boots is yes, still... Yes, 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 now get on with it. The body is decomposing. Oh, I so wish I could say that to the people that work for me. <laughs> yes, 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 get on with it. Yes, you're terribly clever, just tell me what the story is. All the binding force is gone and all that remains is a husk. And any pretense at science has just winged its way out of the building. There is a certain plausibility about it, though. It at least sounds like it could possibly be. You know, if you yes. drain... Yeah, I, I can plausibly talk a lot of rubbish. That doesn't stop it being anything other than rubbish. No, but what I mean is, you can say all the energy's been drained out of the body, therefore it's starting to decompose. It might scientifically be rubbish, but it sounds all right. It's not a, another... Um... <laughs> I, I love this scene. Where oh, just... Is this Ted Moss? Yes. And okay, he turns out to be a, a, a cultist, but... At this point, all you know is that she's a child of the seventeen could have taken you. She's assaulted some poor random counts worker. Don't you worry, Mr. Moss. You both escape from somewhere, don't you? Frequently. What's the nearest area? Fetchborough? About a mile down that way. A three-year-old could spot that. They say he made his money out of electronics. Well, that don't seem likely because he ain't Japanese. Yeah, a bit of casual racism, what? Excellence. What's that for the 1970s? What's your name, by the way? What's your name? Ted Moss. Ted Moss. Hmm. Don't you worry, Mr. Moss. We won't tell a soul, living or dead. Just relax and stay there. We'll get it sorted out. Dolly, tell me what to do in the old kitchen. <laughs> what a wonderful character. I love Mrs. Tyler. Theo is apparently off for a safari at some point. No one is allowed in or out without clearance. This loony old trout seems to think she's an exception. Loony old trout? All the gentry, Mrs. Remember your vanicus veins? They're in the dumb barn as a detect me, boy. They got more sense than most people. I really like Mrs. Tyler. Told you I I was wondering if she was Mrs. Pooh when she was. Well, I didn't know that. Wanda Ventham wore a black wig for this. Never really understood, unless it's a contrast between Thea and the core. Hmm, possibly. Um, have you seen much other stuff she's been in? Not beyond who, no. Right, we'll watch one of her episodes when we do UFO. And if I can search out my copies of the Lotus Eaters, we could do that. It was data from here which led me to the excavation sites in Kenya. It's always got me that it's only the English middle class that call it Kenya. People who actually live in Kenya call it Kenya. There's a guard. I shall kill him. No. Why not? Well, upset the dog. 
Yes. You simply must overtaking people. Get us into trouble. Crazy as a bed bug. He actually believes that he can oh, see look. the path. A test tube rack full of cold solutions. Clearly that must be chemistry. Seems reasonable. How plausible. He's the most sceptical scientist that's ever been committed to film. He doesn't believe anything that's put right in front of him. And now we have Thea in the room full of oscilloscopes and ancient looking computers. But to be fair, they probably didn't look ancient at the time. You'd hope not. She's very glamorous though, Wanda Bentham. Um, and it's always struck me as she was a bit wasted really in um, Time and the Rani done up to look as and, and kind of wasted in the faceless ones as well um, oh, I've yeah, forgotten she was in that yeah I, she puts in a very good performance but it's a bit background secretary we'll watch some UFO at some point in that Colonel Virginia Lake she plays in, in UFO and it gives her an opportunity to do some something a bit more than stare off into middle distance and wear a lot of makeup, which is largely her role here. Why do the windows of that mansion appear to be on fire when Leela walked past there? It's the oddest lighting I've ever seen. It's not the mansion she's going up to, it's Mrs. Tyler's cottage. <laughs> well, it it has been a while since you've seen it, mm. so what did you think? Well, as with all Doctor Who of this period, I love it. Um, Good man. The Philip Hinchcliffe era of Doctor Who, really. Sam. Alan Fogg. <laughs> it's not your Alan Fogg. No, it's not. No, but it, it's there. Yes. Yeah. Um, and actually, last time I was watching this at home, I pointed this out, and he was widely unimpressed. Yeah. The not we, generally speaking, aren't impressed by anything in Doctor Who. So, that's the end of episode one, and in the interests of keeping this to a reasonable running time, what we're going to do is just do end of the episode commentaries for episodes two and three, and then a fuller commentary for episode four, and that way you don't end up having to listen to us blot on for hours of time. <laughs> that seems very, very reasonable to me. Uh, that, that's good, because it was your idea. It was my place. idea. I don't... Well done, you. I, sometimes I come out with the most wonderful things. Yes, so we'll go straight into episode two, and we'll see you at the end of episode three for a little bit of a digest. So we just watched episodes two and three of Image of the Fendal. I know that you love this one and you watch it regularly. Absolutely love Image of the Fendal. It's one of my favourite stories. It just ticks all the buttons. Uh, really good TARDIS team and um, they bounce off each other extremely well. It looks beautiful. Um, the sets work fantastic. Have we seen any set wobble? I can't actually remember. Not for this one that I can recall. Um, the whole Dennis Weekly set in the, uh, in the cellar. <laughs> And particularly around the transformation sequence that we've just seen where Thea Ransom turns into the, um, the Vandal core is just done fantastically. 
Max does chew the scenery a little Just bit. Just a bit, and yes. And comes across as a, a bit wooden. But Daphne Heard it, it is an absolute joy to watch. <laughs> the loony old trout. She, she is fantastic. She's a big, big part of why I enjoy watching this show so much. You get an interesting little bit of backstory about the Doctor being frightened by a mythological horror from his childhood. And we don't really hear him talk about Not really, no. Family or childhood of... Well, that slightly odd in that the whole time loop thing is supposed to have made everybody forget about it. So how come it's a Gallifreyan myth? Uh, yeah. Gallifreyan mm. myth, uh, unless it's unless the time loop is to make everybody else forget about it, and they, that that bit just didn't really quite hold logically true. But lots of Doctor Who doesn't hold logically true. It doesn't stop me from loving it. A lot of it, you've just got to suspend your belief and not pick too many holes in it. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, I think the Fendal looks very effective. The way it's lit helps. It's yeah. not hif- hideously overly lit when it. Um, it's in a basically a, a dark wood panel corridor when it first appears. And yeah. but we're not in an ignore the rat situation either, are we? No, we're not. You see, I've never had a major problem with the rat. You know. It, no, I, I don't really. It's just ignore the rat is the description. But Thea Ransom, she has been given warning signs that she's surrounded by loony men from the beginning. And she still allowed herself to find herself in this position to the point where now, at the end of episode three, she's conveniently lying in the centre of a pentangle. I think that's a little unfair because if you remember when Mitchell turns up, the security guard, he says that not only are they to keep people out, but they're not allowed to leave either. Ah, so, I've forgotten that bit. So yeah. she doesn't actually have a choice. Mm. Not the better, not the ideal working conditions. And she, she does try and find the doctor to say, "Look, what the hell were you talking about? Why do you want to X-ray my skull?" Mm. And by that stage, she's escaped and gone off somewhere else. Yeah. So, so she's not really your typical hammer horror victim female waiting for the inevitable to happen. She's as proactive as she can be, bearing in mind that she's in a house that she's not allowed to leave with rampaging loonies, one of whom is somebody that she's been working with for quite a while. Mm. Anybody who spends any time with Max, Thea's the one that seems to have a little bit of affection towards him and she'll joke about with him. Adam just takes the piss out of him. <laughs> and it's end the day with a smile, all that sort of thing. It is pure schoolboy, almost bullying. Yeah. Um, whereas Thea's actually quite nice to him, as unlikable a character as he is. I know we've mentioned it before, I've mentioned it before, but the big reveal as uh, Fendelman is, is tied up, ready to get shot through the head. My name is Fendelman, man of the Fendal. Really? I, I'd, never, I'd never spotted that out. What a big reveal. It's probably the least... That, that's not even hiding in plain sight. That's showing off in plain sight. Except that with the whole time loop thing, nobody actually knows what the Fendal is. We do, because we've seen the, t- the title sequence. It's a bit like the big shock and drama of the Cybermen being shown at the end of the first episode of Revenge of the Cybermen. Mm. From the title, it's not a huge surprise... Um, robots of Death is another one. This what a big shock that it's the robots that are killing people. Oh, hang on a minute. What's the thing that we're, we're watching actually called? Um, I can't, it's not an original thought, but there were quite a few during the 70s where the titles were not only obvious, but a little bit unnecessary. Um, you're thinking of Deadly Assassin. Deadly Assassin. And that's, um, because if they're not deadly, they're not, not really, really doing assassin. their job properly. City of Death. There's a city and there are some deaths in it. Not really many, not enough to warrant that title. But doesn't actually give away the plot in the same way as... Revenge of the Cybermen does. Or 
robots of death. And fair enough, things like Revenge of the Cybermen flag up the fact that you're going to have one of your, your big monsters returning, especially with that, because they, it was, what, five or six years since last been seen in the mm. patient, um, apart from the occasional little uh, turn up as one of the exhibits in the, in the Carnival of Monsters. Oh, they're and cool. they were, they're, they're there at the end of the War Games. But it was the first Cyberland story, so fair enough, advertise it in, in advance. But don't act surprised when they turn up and do it as a big shock reveal because people knew it was going to happen. I think the worst self-spoiler of recent years was was Evolution of the Daleks, the Daleks in Manhattan or something, when the hybrid beast, the the half-human, half-Dalek hybrid that they... Dalek sec. Yeah. It would have been far more effective if the Radio Times hadn't had it writ large, a big photograph on the main, on the front cover, a week in advance spoiling it for everyone what was about to crawl out of this Dalek yeah I really didn't like Daleks it, well it's not it's just not a good story I wish I, I, I rewatched that fairly recently I still can't genuinely find any love for it I've, I've never really felt the urge to rewatch it at some point we are planning to do a feature on stories we never wanted to watch again oh. and you've actually picked one of my favourites for that haven't you so we're going to be watching The Web Planet yeah it was a big toss-up between that and Love and Monsters. Because are you yeah. going? Are you going for Twin Dilemma? Will that be the one? No, no, no. I'm going for Invisible Enemy. Oh yes, what you said. Twin Dilemma is just too obvious to pick because everybody hates it. We'll come on to that in a future podcast. But yeah, I'm, that's I'm not looking forward to that one. I am. I love plenty, the web planet. plenty of gin. I absolutely love the web planet. But in the meantime, uh, we will roll on with episode four of Image of the Fendal, and for this one, we'll be doing the full commentary. Ron VT. Mm, it does. What's happening? Why can't we move? Although, as you pointed out before, I made an error earlier on thinking that this was from the Hingecliffe era, and it's not. It's Did you say it's the first of Graham Williams? No, wasn't that Horror of Hang Off? But I think it's one of those Hingecliffe hangover stories. And it shows. Was Underworld not quite late in the season when they'd run out of money? But this is more than halfway through the season. Is that this third? We're going to have to consult the guide. So, Fangrock, Invisible Enemy, Image of the Fendal, Underworld, Sunmakers, Invasion of Time. Isn't that the, the running order of the mm. season? Because already by this point, you can see Tom Baker's costume starting to slip a little bit. The If you look at the Hingecliffe ones, <laughs> He's always very well dressed and well turned out. In fact, more turn, well turned out than when he started. Um, as time wears on, he's basically just a shirt and a coat. And that's it. And it just there. So that's Ted Moss. Oh, there's Ted Moss. That's the first one that gets turned into Fender or Fenderling. A little baby Fenderling. And even that looks pretty good. Mm. And the painted on eyes. But the whole the whole costume, mm. the, the whole. It's sort of kind of Grecian. 
Gold, Wand of Anthem's now got. But very spangly and gold mm. lame. It's, it's possibly a, a drag queen would interpret a Greek, a Greek god. It always loops back to drag queens. <laughs> I have a soft spot for drag queens. And to be fair, an awful lot of Doc Tizzy costume <laughs> reminds me of drag queens. I love this line. It is delivered beautifully. It is. And deadly serious. Well, I don't know, there's a bit of a gurn at the end of it, which... Uh, we were wondering whether the cellar that uh, we saw in Lake 7 episode was a... Uh, a redress a redress of this, and it clearly isn't. He's not helped the situation by yelling like that. Not really, it? no. It's not made him any less wooden, though, has it? Chewing the scenery, I think you've pretty much nailed it down with that. Yeah, both times he turns up, because he was one of the uh, guerrilla fighters in Day of the Daleks. Now, that's one I wouldn't mind seeing with all the effects redone. They've, I know that they've really spent a bit of time on Day of the Daleks. That's worth a watch. The one to watch with the new effects is uh, Kinder. Oh, with the snake. Yeah, we have done that at some point in the past. Yeah, because Kinder is a wonderful story let down by the, the special effects mm. at the time. So redoing it with the CGI snake just works fantastically. You're right, Professor. You look a bit He really is demonstrating himself to be a bit of a liability at this point. Yes, he's been reasonably jokey and sympathetic up until then. I mean, even the dead one in, in Close Up looks pretty good. Apparently, they didn't know how to pronounce osmotic. A gestalt is a group creature. It's made up of separate parts, but when they join together, they make a new and much more powerful. Where have we seen him before? Colby. Oh, I'm not sure. You see, I can only ever think of him from Fendal because I've seen it so often. Mm. Fendal is not yet complete. Yes, we've still got a chance, Jack. Here, have you two got their charms, I give it? Yes, give it to me. Give it to you say that about 12 million years ago, on a, on a nameless planet which no longer exists, evolution went up a blind alley? Yes. Natural selection turned back on itself, and a creature evolved which prospered by absorbing the energy wavelengths of life itself. It ate life. All life, including that of its own kind. Yes, in other words, the Fendal. And then the Time Lords decided to destroy the entire planet and hid the fact from posterity. In Time Lord terms, that's a reasonably flimsy little thing to do. I mean, the Fendal aren't the greatest threat to the universe that's ever been. And yet the Time Lords steamed in and got involved and destroyed an entire planet. And they're a little bit squeamish about doing that with the Daleks and Cybermen, etc. Do you think, uh, just looked up Colby, he's in very little other stuff. He's in triple vision. For, and that's probably passed me by. Tenders, no. Burning, Harry Enfield show, Lovejoy. Always in morons from outer space. You say expectantly. 
The one thing that strikes me about Tom Baker, and that's, this is, I'm not a big fan of the Graham Williams era, it's too whimsical and jokey for me, but Tom Baker does do exposition dialogue very well. Leela does a lot of this listless chopping to the back of the neck thing, and it always works to knock people out. The Fendal fed into the RNA of certain individuals, the instincts and compulsions necessary to recreate. These were fed through the generations, so they reached Fendelman and people like him. Well, that's possibly more plausible. Oh, on the other hand, it could all be just a coincidence. Yeah. Coincidence well, likes the name. Tom Baker does his best not to grope Louise Jameson as he picks her up off the floor. <laughs> well, well done him for holding yourself back there, reining in those baser instincts. Resisting the temptation to be incredibly creepy. Um, I think how that should have probably been better said is that uh, Tom Baker tries to pick Louise Jameson up despite the best efforts of the costume to make everywhere he touches her completely inappropriate. That's <laughs> <laughs> to probably a better way of saying it and it's probably just camera angle but it does look as though it's copying the face mm. be sure to operate a scan of for only two minutes although considering the way she describes them um, talking about each other he could have been trying to make a corpse <laughs> the whole wooden paneling thing has really nicely done Doctor Who just gets slated for crap sets and no money being spent on it, but and I some, disagree. Sometimes that's true. It is. When you get to end of season episodes, they're seriously running out of money, maybe to an extent. Good marketing is not a matter of luck, apparently. So they both seem to be having off days. I don't know how you can miss something that big. I think the skill is missing it. Baby Fendaline protecting the skull. Not terribly well. Not very well, no. So he brings on a pair of gloves, but only puts <coughs> one on and picks a skull up with one hand. And I've done this a number of times and they're not easy things to pick up with just one hand. And with a big thick glove on. Yeah. And you wouldn't want to drop it, that would be the risk. What is she doing? He's just randomly scattering salt on the floor. No, that's a nice effect. It is. It's got the, um, the super imposition of the, um, the core. It's a less impressive mm. effect with the positive. I'm not entirely sure why she just appears with a hand floating over there. It's terribly dramatic in mm. those poses. And almost sort of medusary effect with the hair. One of the, the Greek overtones, although it's, he's made pointed reference all the way through to, to say that it's Roman. Well, to be fair, I mean, the Greeks and the Romans, they both did Tobias, didn't they? So. Oh, is this the one where they, uh, they achieve the effect of a, a burning building by flickering orange lights in the face? Is this the one? Oh, no, that's yeah. Pyramids of Mars, isn't it? No, because the building doesn't burn down, it implodes in on itself. Mm. I mean, it's not a good special effect when we get to see it. Mirrorlong, good old Mirrorlong. To be fair though, it's still not as bad as the original effect for the castle blowing up in the Time Warrior. A jump cut to a quarry face exploding. Or the church in the demons. That's a good effect. It prompted people to write yes, in. Yes, probably a Mrs. Tyler's now. Eating plum cake with her best china. Next story is the Sunmakers. That's another one I've not seen for a long time, but did quite enjoy. 
I remember really enjoying it when it was first broadcast, and then... You didn't finish? Didn't finish what? Your sentence. Not it's a very long habit, Doctor. Oh, yeah. yeah. On it when I'd seen it again. Well, it's about Ken... Ken Nye? I'd better finish repairing him. You called him him? You called him him? I can call Ken Nye him if I want to. He's my dog. Aren't you Ken and cue the sig. Yeah. Bit of an anticlimactic ending for the episode. Um, I don't know. The, the, the final catch-up um, scene is... You get it in a lot of mm. stories. It just ties all the endings together. The, bit, the big ending of it is the um, implosion of the Briars, so... Mm. It's not we didn't get a theoretically dramatic epic. I can understand why you like this one so much though, it is a good story. And it's from for many people the golden age. Well this is absolutely my era of Doctor Who, it's what I grew up with. Um, I remember watching the stories as they were transmitted and as often as not I, I used to watch them at my um, grandparents' house. Typical baked beans on toast in front of the fire. As I'm allergic to baked beans, absolutely not. <laughs> we now have the first of a three-part interview with Sophie Aldred. This was recorded on the 6th of May 2007 at Who in the Cavern 2 in Liverpool, and it was organised by Erica Edgerton from the Fans Like Us Wirral Doctor Who group. The interviewer is Charlie Ross. Uh, so, travelsupermarket.com. Who's that? <laughs> Tell us all about it. What was that experience like? What's your favourite travelsupermarket.com moment? Well, I think it was uh, when I went into the studio and they said, this is uh, on repeats, it's not a buyout. Fantastic. <laughs> my favourite moment. And any actors in the audience will know exactly what that means. That's a good thing. Um, when, you, when you get a buyout, well, explain what a buyout is. Might as well let them know. Well, uh, in the old days, you used to get uh, repeats every time something was shown. So, for example, uh, Doctor Who was actually on an equity contract, an old equity contract, which means that every time it's shown or a clip of it's shown. So, we, for example, love those it'll be alright on the night things. And I like it when people come up and say, Oh, I saw you on that thing, and Sylvester falls over and, you know, fights a bush. And I go, Great. That's. <laughs> <laughs> Not that I ever got paid very much for Doctor Who. Annika was just talking about what she got for a TV series, uh, £23. And, um, and I remember my first week on Dragonfire, um, after I'd, say, taken off tax and national insurance and paid my agent, I actually took home less than I had for any other theatre job or anything. Because in those days as well, the BBC used to put you on what they call the category fee, which is uh, they start you off, they started you off very low, and then the more you did, every time you did a job for the BBC, you'd get paid a bit more. So it's quite funny because Anthony Hopkins, um, he did something for the BBC uh, when he was a young actor, and then didn't work again for them for years and years and years, and he became you know big Hollywood star, and then he went back and he did something for the BBC. And uh, somebody in artist contracts rang up and said, Oh yes, Anthony Hopkins, yes, that's £120 per episode. <laughs> they said, uh, no, excuse me, Sir Anthony Hopkins. Would you like to see my Oscar? Yeah. <laughs> 
Anyway, that's enough of materialism and money. Yeah, no, no, it's always good. We always like talking money. Um, so what, what else are you up to these days? What have you been doing at the moment? Well, um, mainly uh, looking after the boys because I now have two boys, um, Adam, who's now seven, and William, who's nearly four. And I decided when Adam was born, well, it sort of happened really that I didn't, I just felt really, really that I wanted to be at home while they were small. And because, you know, I know it's a bit of a cliche, and for those of you who've got children and for those of you who are children, when you're a child, life seems to be going very slowly and gosh, you just wish you didn't have to sit there in that geography lesson one more time. It seems that a geography lesson can last a whole year, can't it? But, you know, as you get older, time just goes. And suddenly children who were little tiny babies in your arms are suddenly hulking great teenagers. So I decided that I didn't want to miss any of it because to me, forget work, forget you know, Doctor Who, forget travelsupermarket.com. The most important thing really in life is relationships, friends, family, and you know, people that you love. And I didn't want to miss this crucial part of, uh, of my life as a mother. So I decided that I would take very little work. Um, and it's been great because the work has kind of ticked over slowly. The voiceovers are fantastic because, for example, travelsupermarket.com and the others, like Ambipure, the air freshener one that I did, um, you literally, I, I can go into town, I can walk into a studio in Soho, it's, uh, it takes me 15 minutes or whatever to record a voiceover and then I can go home and pick the boys up from school. So for me, I mean, I am so blessed because you know, I'm, I'm very, very lucky to be able to make enough money to spend a lot of time at home. And I also run, uh, um, and I have been doing for the last four years, I run a parent and child group at my children's school, which is, um, it's quite unusual. It's, it's, a, it's called Steiner Education. I don't know if anyone's heard of Rudolf Steiner, who was a, a philosopher, an Austrian philosopher at the beginning of the 20th century. And um, he came up with all these fantastic ideas of how to kind of make life better, really. One of which was biodynamic food, which, I, you know, is now kind of just becoming more important because uh, as our pesticides and our... This is very serious, isn't it? <laughs> anyway, I'll just finish this bit and then we can have a laugh. Um, <clears throat> anyway, he came up with all these amazing ideas, one of which was for education, which basically is saying, let children be children for as long as possible. We've got the rest of our lives to kind of be serious and do things like reading and writing. So within a lovely structure and a beautiful environment, let's educate our children to be confident and um, to play to their strengths and to play. So Adam, who's seven, has only just... And uh, they do this on the continent. We're, we're one of the only countries in the world that makes our children sit down and learn to read and write at such a ridiculously early age, which is very hard for, for a lot of children. It's very hard to sit still, you know. You can, you, as you... Those of you who are parents will testify. So I decided that I would send my children to this beautiful school where they learn to do things like make soup, bread, sew, knit... Yeah, and they and they play and they, um, but within a within a very good structure, so that they also have lots of you know good rules and boundaries and stuff. And it's for me, I've become fascinated with it, and I've I've done training courses, and I so I can sort of teach the naught to three year olds. 
well, teach. I mean, it's kind of supporting parents, really. So that's really what I'm into at the moment. And can I just say, if you want any sort of uh, confirmation of how successful it is, Sophie's kids are the most adorable children on the face of the planet. <laughs> oh, well, and Adam you. kept us all thoroughly entertained at dinner last night. He's, uh, he's a talent in the making, let me tell you. He wants to be a footballer, but... Yeah, and uh, there was we did Invasion uh, a couple of months ago, and another Doctor Who actor was there with his two children who... Let me, let's be honest, this, I'll not name the person, but his children made the exorcist look like a scene from Oliver. And, uh, <laughs> um, but Sophie's kids were just adorable. And I've gone red. I'm just thinking about... Because um, it, it's funny, uh, those of you who are parents, again, it's really funny, isn't it? Because when you look at other children, when they're interacting with adults and sort of showing off a bit, you think, oh, how charming and cute. And you, when it's your own child, you sit there thinking, oh, no, oh, it's so, so embarrassing. So I can't Not judge, but thank you. lovely company. You've been teaching drama recently as well, because you, you were, you were, in the morning invasion, you were teaching in the morning, weren't you? Are you enjoying that process? I've been teaching singing, actually. Right, right. And I'm really enjoying that as well. It's come, again, through the school. It's come by sort of, um, by accident. But I realised that because I've had such a lot of experience of singing in my life, I, I started having lessons when I was 15. They, w they won't allow you to have lessons before then, and you shouldn't because your vocal cords aren't developed enough. But I've always been in choirs and I've always... My father always wanted me to be an opera singer, actually. He's always been very into classical music and, uh, and he, he would have loved for me to uh, be an opera singer. I wasn't so keen on that myself. Um, but and I'm really glad I went the acting route. But I still do a lot of singing, and in fact, my I think that my type of voice is totally suited for what I've done with my children's TV stuff and um, children's theatre and things like that. Yes, yeah, so it's, I've sort of fallen into doing choral singing, uh, teaching choral singing on a little course, and um, I love doing that. And I've started teaching the 10 and 11 year old children at the school. Um, singing as well just in a choir and uh, so I do that once a week and it's just so funny because they're, they're 10 and 11 year old children are still you know kind of still children but they're kind of bordering on the on the teenagers you know have we got any 10 and 11 year olds here a couple yeah there you go well it's very funny um, because they kind of give this veneer of being rather bored you know and sort of like yeah, whatever, you know, and uh, and standing there kind of, you know, beginning to have that slouch and things. And and then I, I sort of teach them, um, and some of them, their voices are beginning to just slightly lower a bit. And, uh, and I teach them to sing rounds. And it's great what you can do, you know, and teaching, teaching them different parts and things. And they start listening to themselves and they think, actually, we're quite good. But there was one boy in particular who... Um, gets a bit bored with everything and at one point he just kind of <laughs> crashed his head forward on the desk like this and uh, and I made a little joke to him and I thought oh dear you know he's a bit bored and I said afterwards to some friends I was sitting in the grass outside and I said oh Key was a bit bored today and they said oh he's bored with everything and uh, and then he and then later they came out of school and Key kind of shambled up to me and he said uh, <clears throat> Thanks for the singing, by the way, it was really good. <laughs> and shuffled off. So uh, that was a great compliment. I but thought. don't tell anyone I said thanks. Yeah. <laughs> you can hear the second part of that interview next time. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. I hope you've enjoyed what we have to say. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with the next podcast. Catch you later. The Exton Moss experiment featured Simon Exton and Ken Moss. 
and the title music was performed by the BBC Symphony Orchestra. All featured television soundtracks are the property of their respective producers, and no infringement of copyright is intended. The programme was recorded in Rushton, Lancashire, and produced by Maverick Productions. For more information, please visit our website at extonmossexperiment.blogspot.com or find us on Facebook.